you can open your Bible to 1 Chronicles 16. And just so you know, just like where you have a lot of grace on our children, if you're, if you're cold and you need to get up and like walk around or go back there and do jumping jacks in the corner, or if we want to get really spiritual like some of the camp meetings I went to as a kid, you can start running laps and I'll just take that as an encouragement. And so... Just know it's cool. Do what you need to do to stay warm. We have steps back here if you want to go walk the steps or run up and down them. It's all good, right? Do push-ups. But what I want us to do first is I want, before we read the scriptures, I want everyone to close your eyes if, you're, if you trust me enough. All right, close your eyes. Now I want you to bring to your mind something or someone that you're grateful for or thankful for. All right, and as, as, you, as you think about that, keep your eyes closed. This will be hard for some of you, but I want you to go with me. Nobody's looking at you, right, unless somebody's cheating. Is I want you to, to, uh, to smile. Keep your eyes closed, and while you're thinking of what you're grateful for or thankful for, I want you to smile, a big smile. Make the muscles, and I want you to hold it for 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, Seven, six, five, four, three, two and three quarters, two and a half, two, bad at fractions, one, zero. Keep your eyes closed. Now I just want you to, to feel that gratitude as much as you can in your body. You're like, what does that mean? Just whatever you want it to mean. All right, now open your eyes. Now let's read a long passage of scripture here. I'm going to read a little fast. First Chronicles 16. Because today the sermon will be a little different. Instead of like going, look, look at this verse, look at this verse. We're going to read it all and then we're just going to grab some, some things from it for Thanksgiving week. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemaroth, Jehiel, Mathathiah, Eliah, Benaiah, Odeb, Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord in His strength, seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. Oh, offspring of Israel, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. 
Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. Which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. Saying to you I will give the land of Canaan. As your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number. Of little account. And sojourners in it. Wandering from nation to nation. From one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the Ark as each day required. And also Obed-Edom and his 68 brothers. While Obed-Edom, the son of Judathan and Hosea, were to be gatekeepers. And he left Zadok, the priest, and his brothers, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. With them were He-Man, that's a great name for his son, for He-Man and Judathan and the rest of those chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. He-Man, Haman, and Judathan had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. The sons of Judathan were appointed to the gate. Then all the people departed each to his house. And David went home to bless his household. Father, we thank you for the air we breathe. We thank you for the people around us, the seats we sit in, the building we get to be in. We thank you, God, for you and your many gifts. And we pray today that you would help us to be thankful for your word that is truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you can take what is true and reveal us and heal us. And we ask you to do that again today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
one of the most annoying figures in television history, again, when I say these things, not an endorsement, may be the character Ned Flanders. If you don't know who Ned Flanders is, you can look that up. He is a, a character on The Simpsons who walks around always with this positive attitude, right? He's always grateful and thankful. You know, hi, diddly ho, neighbor. You know, isn't it a great day to praise the Lord? And as you see this or watch this, and even if you're not familiar with it, some of you may know people like that. People you've worked with, people in your family. And I think if we're all honest at times, you can think that grateful people are annoying. No doubt some of us think that as you sit in your life, maybe feeling broken, burnout, bored, meaningless, pain, that gratitude is simply an exercise in denial. Or you might think that gratitude is a personality issue. Well, you know, I'm just not a grateful person. Or you might think that gratitude is an excuse that lazy people who don't want to deal with reality use to just kind of get themselves off the hook, right? Well, I know that I didn't say what I was going to do what I was going to do, but, but we have so much to be thankful for. Right? I know that the world is falling apart around us. I know that you are suffering in this great way. But hey, look on the bright side. I'll be honest with you, I've probably said this before, and if some of you say this, you know what can be a really annoying phrase? How are you doing? I'm doing better than I deserve. While that may be true in some ways theologically, the sense that people can get from that statement is okay, you just shut down me opening up and being real about anything because now what can I say? Gratitude is a tricky issue if we're wanting to be honest about how it fits in the story of our lives and in the story of the world. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, disciples in this world who go out and make disciples, then we've got to, to do some justice with these realities of asking ourselves some questions. Do grateful people get on your nerves? Does gratitude get on your nerves? Are you glad that Thanksgiving is kind of an understated holiday that maybe only gets one or two days? I mean, a lot of people are already like totally in Christmas mode, right? Like just forget Thanksgiving. But we're not here today to talk about a holiday that we could say has lots of complexities in of itself. We're here to talk about a practice, a spiritual discipline even we could see in the scriptures that often gets left out when we think of spiritual disciplines. We don't have the time to, to sort of bear all that out today, but as you can see even in 1 Chronicles 16, the practice of gratitude, the practice of thanksgiving was not viewed as a personality issue, it was not viewed as a luxury, and it was not viewed as a way to deny the reality of the world that we live in. But it was embedded in the worship and the lives of the people of Israel. As you think about it, as we may wrestle with the fact, is there any drama, is there any gravity and gratitude, is maybe we are a people, a culture, that is starving for gratitude. But is maybe afraid to be grateful. Because to be grateful means to be hopeful. And to be hopeful means to set yourself up for disappointment. If your hope 
is in the wrong place. Think of how gratitude might have changed the course of history even in the Garden of Eden. Was the original sin not a matter of a lack of gratitude? Was it not a matter of placing hope in the wrong direction? Think about your own story. The people who sinned against you, the sins that you've committed. And I wonder if you pull the thread, will you not find gratitude woven into that story? Gratitude is not a boring, dramaless issue. It is a reality that we must grapple with as we're disciples of Jesus who learn to practice gratitude, not as an annoyance, but as an anchor. So how do we do that? The first thing I think we can see from our text today, if we want to practice gratitude, not as an annoyance or a personality issue, but as a powerful gospel anchor, then the first thing is we do this by exposing the defeaters of gratitude. In these first seven verses, again, we're just going to reflect back on these things as we go. We see that there is a story that is behind gratitude, behind thanksgiving, and it's the story of the presence of God in every part of the journey of the people of Israel. One of the great defeaters of gratitude is a story without the presence of God at the center. Where you might say where I get that. In those first seven verses, what is going on? What is leading to this worship? It's the moving of the ark of God into the tabernacle and one day to the temple. But the ark, this is the ark going to Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of Zion. This is a big deal. But maybe we don't think, when we think of the ark of God, and uh, I'm dating myself, I don't even know how many of our college students, maybe you know uh, Indiana Jones, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark. We used to could refer to that as kind of a common ground. But the ark of God is important more than just for uh, Steven Spielberg. The ark of God was huge. This was what was in the most holy place. It had the, the cherubim, the, the, it had the, the mercy seat on top of it. And, and depending on who you ask, it, and there's different verses and different seasons, but it had the, the Ten Commandments in it. And then at some point it talks about it had some manna in it that reminded how God provided for Israel in the wilderness. And then it had Aaron's staff when it budded. Showing how God provided. It was this great sign of the presence of God. And it was being moved into the place of God as a picture of the power of God for the people of God. This is a great story. It's a story of grace. It's a story of redemption. Our MC Josh Gilbert's leading us through the story of God. And it's like, my goodness, no matter how many times the people of God stiff arm him... He just keeps bringing His presence and grace to them. And this is what's happening in 1 Chronicles. In chapter 12, David is now king. In chapter 13, he's secured the ark. In chapter 14, David makes his own house in Jerusalem. But then in chapter 15, he's bringing the ark there. And now in chapter 16, they're moving it into the tabernacle. And it's leading to praise. There's the big story of Israel, but then there's the, the smaller story here of David. You want to talk about a guy who went through some hard times. Anointed as a kid to be the king of Israel and yet rejected by Saul, the one whom he serves. 
this great dysfunction in their family with Saul's son Jonathan as David's best friend who would die. David hiding and running for all these years. But the presence of God never left him. This is a culminating climax of the faithfulness of God that they are going to give gratitude towards. What we see in this section is that where the presence of God is at the center of the story, then thanksgiving will always be close by. Today, myself again a little, or some of us, we we think of uh, that great American story, Forrest Gump, and the character in it, Jenny, is this, his best friend as a child, this distraught girl who's abused in many ways, and throughout this story, she, she's running to everything in the world to try to fill that gap of satisfaction because she's so driven by the pain, the problems, the sin that she experienced in her past. But what's beautiful about this very imperfect and unendorsed story is that Forrest was always there. But she could just never see it could never grasp it, could never appreciate it. And it's until she does that some degree of peace actually begins to come into her life. We will not have lives of peace in a broken world, of broken lives, if we cannot begin to be people who are aware of the presence of God in every place of our stories, past, present, and future. The great defeater of gratitude in our lives is you seeing your story and telling your story and God not even being in it. We've all got to wrestle with that. When you rehearse your story in your head, by yourself, to other people... Is God's presence at the center or is it some kind of footnote? I'm not saying that to guilt you or to shame you. Just tell the truth. Gratitude will be an annoyance to you. Gratitude will feel like a personality issue. It'll feel like a luxury. If you can't do like Israel is doing here and say, Wow, we've been through a lot. I mean a lot of rough stuff. But the presence of God never left us. Think about your day. How many of you come to the end of a day or the middle of the day and you're just like, I just wish I could cancel this day out of my life. Could you tell the story of a day with the presence of God at the center? If you can't, then gratitude will feel foreign and forced. This is not saying we don't tell the truth about our pain and our hurts. Who is the leader of lament in the Old Testament? I'd say it's David. If you read the Psalms, this guy and all these Psalms, and guess what? Another dude's name's mentioned in here too, named Asaph, who also wrote a lot of these Psalms. You read some of those Psalms, and you're going to think, oh, wow, that makes me really uncomfortable talking about how God forgot me, how God forsaken, how God forsook me, how darkness is my only friend at the end of Psalm 88. And yet that can exist with gratitude. 
when the presence of God is at the story. This, this is spiritual warfare, by the way. Uh, the great prophet of our country, Steve Jobs, Paul says, as your, some of your prophets say, right? So I'll do that right now. As some of our prophets say, this is what he had to say. The most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storyteller sets the vision, values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come. I, I think that's true. So who's telling your story? That will, help, that will answer whether gratitude will become an anchor for you or an annoyance. We, we have these things we do and resources we provide. Our, our life map, we talk about that, where you go through one side and you do your 10 toughest experiences and you put what you felt, how that changed your interpretation of life, and then you say, what does the gospel have to say about that? We do a heart journal. We went over that a few weeks ago, looked through a day, and we go from fruit to root. What did I do wrong? And then how did that collapse all the way down to the level of my desires, beliefs, and expectations? But what a lot of times we don't give the time to is the other side. I've even been a part of trainings, and no offense, they say, hey, we're limited for time, so we're not going to talk about your good memories. We're just going to talk about your bad ones because I know that's what you're here for. Man, I've been really challenged by thinking about gratitude this week. I, I think that may be really, really a, a, a lack of something important. I want to challenge us to consider on the other side of the life map we have is the good experiences. Where we look back at our lives and we say, oh wow, this was awesome. How did I feel when that happened? How did that shape my interpretation? How does the gospel lead me out of that or to that? The other side of the heart journal, not just how we get ourselves from fruit to root, but how do we now go from root to fruit? Your personal story. Let's talk about the hard things. Let's lament with David. But let's practice gratitude with them as well. Maybe this week that's a practice you can do. Like, I'm going to tell my story but I'm going to do it this time with a different focus. I'm going to do my story a story of gratitude. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to commit not only to expose the defeater, the lack of the presence of God, but we've got to express the discipline. So David says we're going to do this in verses 1 through 7 because the presence of God has been so faithful in our stories. And now in verses 8 through 36, they just do it. It's an example. It's a song of thanksgiving. So we can't just expose what's defeating it. And it may be other things for you guys. I just want to say these real quick. I, I skipped them for time. But here's some other enemies. Is nostalgia, greed, worry, disappointment, discontentment, and pride. So in the face of those, now let's express the discipline of gratitude. And that is got to learn to, to sing a song of thanksgiving. To tell the story of the presence of God. But this is important. Because notice how they're doing it here. It's not just doing it because you feel like it. It's a, it's a liturgy. It's a repetition. It's a communal spiritual discipline. There's people who are actually assigned to make sure it happens. Guess what your job is? Your job is to lead us in gratitude. 
Now, as a priesthood of believers here, we may circle back around to that. Hey, this is kind of part of our role, part of our life. We're to be a people who are marked by gratitude, who are characterized by gratitude. So they sing a song of thanksgiving. You could look in, in verse 8 here, verse 34, verse 35, verse 41. All throughout this, they're returning to this refrain of thanks. It ends in verse 34 before that little tag at the end. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. So what are they being grateful for? So they're grateful for a lot of things. But again, as they pull the thread of gratitude, it always ends back at God. Right? The gifts of God are never received independent of or disconnected from the one who is the giver, God. They talk about who God is, because we've got to put some meat on that, right? And we're gonna, I'm going to give you an example of this. We don't just say, hey, God, thank you for my bicycle. God, thank you for breakfast this morning. Hey, that's a good start if you're a discontent, grumbly person, right? Just to walk through your house, walk through your life, and just say, thank you. Thank you for speakers. Thank you for chairs. That's a place to start. But notice, when they're thanking God, th giving thanks here, gratitude gets back to who God is. Verse 8, he is the Lord. He is Jehovah. That is, he's the personal God of Israel. He is distinct from the gods of the nations. In verse 10, he is a God who is holy. In verses 23 through 27, he is a God who is the only true and living God amongst the world of idols. In verses 9, 12, 14 through 18 and other places, they don't just think, pull the thread back to who God is. They pull the thread back to what God has done. Again, verse 9, tell of His wondrous works. Verses 15 through 18, He speaks of the everlasting covenant. And again, verses 23 through 27, how He is distinct and better from idols because He has acted in history for the redemption of His people. They praise God for who He is. They praise God for what He's done. And they do this without this distinction that's in creation and redemption pulling those apart. They speak of, let God be praised in the heavenly places. They see the glory of God in all of nature, in all of creation, in all of redemption, in all of relationships, in all of the story. It's what they get to do. This is not just who they are, it's a part of what they're called to be in the world. This is very missional. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, all those make his deeds known among the peoples. Tell of his wondrous works among the peoples. Rejoice among the peoples. Seek his presence continually. And do it among the nations. This is not just theological, it's very practical, it's very missional. They are to be known in a world of grumbling to be distinct by their gratitude. Gratitude flows from this story, but it anchors them in reality. Gratitude does not require optimism. What God said is gratitude requires a gospel realism. We, we, we talk about a, a realism. Again, that Dallas Willard phrase, a robust meta metaphysical realism that there is more than meets the eye. 
do we realize we have been brought into the kingdom of God? It is crazy if you think about it. We are not of this world. On earth as it is in heaven. Multiverse type stuff here, right? We believe in spiritual beings. Very well maybe in this room right now. Right? Let's just remind each other of that. And the people of God live in this thin space, we might call it, between heaven and earth. It's, it's, it's amazing. And one way that we make the space thinner in our world between he, a, a heaven and a earth, the realm and reign of God, the kingdom of God, and this present evil age is through being grateful. Because what Satan lives to do is to make us a discontent, grumbling people who only see what we can see, feel what we can feel, and do what we think we can do. One of the best applications of the sermon last week, you did not hear, because it wasn't spoken or thought up by me, but while we were partaking of communion, Cliff and Josh both sort of said, you know what I thought? when I think of denying myself, is not denying how hard it could be to deny myself to go make some big sacrifice and go on some big like journey or adventure. Is what if God just wants me to be faithful in my ordinary life? What if my self-denial is I love the people I live with well and love my neighbors well and that's the life God has called me to? And I was like, wow, that's super convicting. As I thought about this sermon, I thought that's going to take a lot of gratitude. Because I'm going to have to learn to be grateful for what is now and not live a life of I would be grateful if. I will be grateful if. If, if you think I'm blowing smoke here, going outside the Christian realm, just go and go to YouTube today and, and look up TED Talks on gratitude and thanksgiving. So the, the world's always trying to catch up with where God already was. But on this one, it's, it's like, I mean, I couldn't even listen to them all. And I tried to. I mean, there's, there's all types of neuroscience and all this stuff of like how gratitude is not an annoyance, it's not a luxury, but like God has built gratitude into our very biological DNA that if we want to have whole and healthy lives, that we discipline ourselves to be a grateful people. One particular person in one of those many, many videos, Haley Bartholomew, said in 2008... This might feel like an overstatement. I discovered the secret to happiness. That's why I'm here. She says, but before I discovered it, I was depressed. I felt incredibly like life was just a treadmill. Blah. There's no point. Why, what was the point? Why did I get married? Why did I have a couple kids? Why did I buy a house? I'm just going to grow old and die. It sounds dramatic, but she says, but that's how she felt. She was struggling to enjoy life. It was concerning her. She, it was affecting things. 
So she went and found someone who offered, she said, I'm not, a, I'm not Catholic, I'm not religious, but she found somebody who offered spiritual direction because she couldn't seem to find help anywhere. And she was told, you know, I think the secret to happiness is reflection and gratitude. And she said at the time, I was like, well, that's a bit underwhelming. I thought you were actually going to help me. She's like, what does that mean for my life? Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for my kids, thankful for my family, blah, blah, blah. But then she was challenged, well, what do you, what do you feel about that? And she had to be honest and say, well, I really I don't feel anything. She says this director helped her. She said, Haley, I want you to do a 10-day project. Take 10 minutes every day, reflect through the day, think through your conversations, and see if there's anything that pops out to you that you're grateful for. Not what you should, but what you feel grateful for. What you should be grateful for, right? But what do you actually feel grateful for? says, I took her advice and did it. And she said, it sparked something amazing within me because I started to see things I wouldn't have otherwise seen. She did that project and then she went on and she, she was a photographer. And so she said she decided for a whole year to take a picture every day of something that she was grateful for with a Polaroid camera. She said, life started to look different. But it wasn't even the things that she or we might think. She says it was things like the color green. Billion different shades of green, she says. She was just struck by it one day. It was her youngest daughter helping her down a step at three years old. She was like, I'll help you down. and Man, I'm so thankful for that. It was things like umbrellas, pancakes for breakfast, Friends getting married. Little special moments. She goes on to say, but the project I learned a lot of things, but probably the biggest things was I learned how my expectations on other people prevented me from appreciating who they really are. She talks about her husband, and I'm not, this has nothing to do with me. You could just put, spout, put wife in the blank if you need it, or if you're not married, roommate, friend, co-worker, right? This is so much bigger than marriage. But this was just her example, not mine. She says, I thought about my husband and I thought, you know, he's just really not very romantic. Kind of boring. So that's what I thought anyway. Because he didn't take me on dates. He never bought me a lot of flowers. He didn't do all the things in my head that a husband should do. And then one day, she hadn't taken her grateful photo and was desperate to find something. <laughs> what could I be grateful for today? But I was looking around the room, and then I saw my husband serving dinner. And in the corner of my eye, I watched as he put the biggest piece of pie on my plate, biggest piece of pie on my plate. And I was like, whoa. I wouldn't have noticed that if I hadn't been looking for it. And he was doing that every day, actually. He was putting me first, but I wasn't seeing it because I wasn't looking for it. She said, it completely changed my view of how I see people, how I see him. She talks about how it changed how she looked at nature, how she thought about parenting. And I'm eliminating a lot because of time here. 
Go listen to it. 365 days to gratefulness, I think. But what she started looking for, she started finding. She talks about how all of a sudden other people started to feel like they were enough around her. God has designed gratitude to be a part of the wholeness that we experience as people. Not to be viewed as annoyance, but an anchor for a full and flourishing life. So the question is, how can we make gratitude a practice in our life? I just want you first to consider that you're, you're probably already practicing or rehearsing primarily grumbling or gratitude. So there, all of us are being formed and all of us have disciplines in our life. The question is, sometimes they're not intentional. So you've got to ask yourself, am I a person who is disciplining myself, intentionally or unintentionally, to make a list of what I'm grateful for or what I'm upset about? And then you can go ask your closest relationships. Hey, would you say I'm characterized as mainly a person who grumbles or a person who's grateful? And then, of course, as we've learned, say, what do you need from me when you respond, right? Be careful, that could go wrong. Ask a safe, close person. There's also, I have made a handout that includes from a book called From Grumbling to Gratitude, or no, something, A Gumbler's Guide to Thanksgiving. There's a gratitude quiz I can send you. So if you're like, I don't want to ask somebody, that's too touchy. This book from A Grumbler's Guide to Gratitude, I think is what it's called, it has a gratitude quiz and you can do it. And I put it on a document with a, an Advent guide. If anybody wants it, I tried to upload it to Google so it could be on the internet and I failed at that. But I know that's easy to do. I used to do it. I've just forgot. But I will get it to you because this is important. I want you to have some practical things, right? Because this is a, really a practical chapter, a practical thing. Like not just leaving here with your head hung down saying, man, it stinks because I'm not thankful Okay, just go out and be thankful, be thankful. No, we've created this Advent guide that will give you 30 days of reading scriptures that are aligned with this, and it's going to give you these practices. And one is to do like she did. It's just so many of these people saying the same stuff. Is to every day for 30 days, and this guide will start you the day after Thanksgiving, and it will lead up to Christmas Eve if you want to do it. It might make you have the best Christmas ever. Who knows? 30 days, day after Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, where you read a scripture about Thanksgiving, you write down in that scripture about who God is, our, our question, what he's done, who am I, what should I do, what you learn about Thanksgiving, and then every day you're going to list as many things as you can, but try to have like a minimum of three things that you're grateful for. But here's the twist. Is through that, we want to learn to pull that thread back to God. So yesterday, I was thinking about this, and I'll connect this. Isaiah and Haley gave us an elliptical they were going to throw away. Charles and Corey have let me borrow a mountain bike. As I was on that elliptical, I was looking at that mountain bike. I was seeing some weights that Joe Kashner had given me. I saw a television that my Aunt Meg had given me. I saw an air compressor my dad had given me. I saw an old 
freezer that Cassie's grandfather, who's no longer with us, had given us. I saw a car seat that somebody in here had let us borrow when we helped when we did some foster respite. I saw a fishing rod that reminded me of my son, whom I love, a basketball, and all of these things all of a sudden that could just stop there and say, thank you, God, for all these things and for all these people. But pulling the thread back is a little... What does that tell me, though, about who God is? All right, so here's the formula for this. I thank you, God, for this because you are this or you've done this, right? We can go farther and better than the TED Talks, all right? Common grace, TED Talks. I thank you for this, but now we go to because you are this. And here's just a little example. I thank you, God, as I look at that mountain bike and this stuff, that you're a God of physicality. You created me and a creation that I can go enjoy. You're a God of creativity. Like somebody thought of this bike. You mash this button and the seat goes up or down. It has gears on it. And that's amazing, isn't it? What a God of creativity. And he's made this creation we get to live in and go enjoy it. He's a God of fun. Like he, he actually doesn't just want us to have creation to survive. He's given us a creation to enjoy. And then he's given me friends, all the ones I named. But to the back, friends like Charles, who are selfless, at least in that point. <laughs> Corey's like, this is where I walk out. It's not because of, of the cold. But, uh, but I mean, that's really selfless. Charles could have sold that bike. Right? He might have just remembered he let me borrow it. <laughs> that's like a good idea. But to pull the thread back is not to just say, thank you, God, for Charles. It's like, Charles is not perfectly selfless. But you know who is? Pull the thread back to the gospel. Pull the thread back to God. Now all of a sudden, gratitude is not again just an annoyance. It becomes an anchor in our lives because everywhere we find things that are imperfect, because some of us don't want to give thanks for imperfect things, like, well, if I give thanks for Charles being selfless, I'm going to get a little, little stuck here. No, just... Just let that be a launch point to the one who is selfless. I think this is why in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul can say, give thanks in all circumstances. Because as we pull the thread in every place that we find, we lead ourselves back to the goodness of God. So I want to encourage us to discipline ourselves. There's other practices that could be named here. There's so many things on this. There's an ancient practice from... Ignatius called the examine. We used to have some cards that had how to do this on there. It might be just every day in your day, maybe when you're laying in bed, reflect back through your day, what happened, and then give great, then practice gratitude. It's a little more than that. But that's part of it. Do a 30-day challenge. Some of you in here might need to do that 365-day picture challenge. Or maybe it's just something this simple. Say, I'm going to, as soon as I wake up every morning, the first thing I'm going to do is say thank you. And the last thing I do before I go to sleep every night is say thank you. Think about your relationships in your, in your dorm rooms, your suites, your homes, your families, your marriages with your kids. What if you said the first thing we're going to say to each other every day is 
here's something I'm thankful for about you and how it points me to the Father. Or just do the first one, maybe, to start with. And then before you go to bed every night, the last thing we're going to hear from each other is, here's a way I'm thankful for you. Well, if you do that with your spouses, your roommates, your children, is every day has got a big thank you sandwich, right? We wake up. and What if when you come home from work, before you say anything else, I'm going to say how I'm thankful for you. Now that's going to sound syrupy and forced to some of us. Why doesn't the grumbling? Some of you might think, well, that won't work. And that leads us back to God. The point is not whether it works in any way that you need it to. The point is, we see from 1 Chronicles 16, this is worship. So the last thing is experiencing the deliverance of gratitude as we come to the Lord's table. The end of this passage, verses 37 through 43, show us how thanksgiving is rooted in to the, to the work of the priest in the temple. It is, it is integrated with the sacrifices, with the offerings that are given for sin. And for humanity to dwell with God, there must be focused attention to the provision of God's work and sacrifice for our sin, but to our response of thanksgiving. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Our gratitude is connected to His goodness. His goodness doesn't ever end. Therefore, our gratitude never ends. But these priests who have their post will lose it and leave it. We know if we keep reading this story, it's going to become merely ritualistic. It's going to become, their worship is going to become like many of our prayers before meals. Right? Thank you God for this food. Let's eat. You know, it's, it's a, it's a mere religious, you know, repetition. You know, we don't even got time to close my eyes and I already got taters in my mouth. That's how our worship becomes, right? Like, God, thank you. That's what we do. That's what happened in Israel. They're just, they're just doing sacrifices and offerings and singing songs and it's, it's meaningless, and God sees it. And this is why God starts to say, I despise your sacrifices. I despise your worship. I want your heart. And he doesn't say, I want your fake heart. He says, a broken and contrite heart. He doesn't want us to do a superficial, on-the-surface gratitude that is forced out of some sort of personality or positive view of everything. He wants gratitude to get to us through the heart. But we run from God as our first ancestors did. And when the God that we serve and the gospel that he gives us is so small in our lives, then so will our gratitude be. Thanksgiving will be turned over because of comparison, discontent, entitlement, perfectionism, and pride. And just like in Eden... For Israel, they'll be exiled from the land because they would not give thanks to God. And there may be some of us in here right now who at times feel very distant from God, and it may be you feel distant right now. The people of Israel certainly did. But this is why this was enshrined in their worship, is because gratitude is meant to bring us back to God, to show us that His presence is there. 
And the good news is the gospel this morning that we will taste and eat of in just a second is that Jesus came as the grateful one. And when he partook of that first Lord's Supper, this is what he said, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. That should blow our minds. He is giving thanks that he is going to be our sacrifice. He is grateful as he faces bearing the wrath of sin of the world. He is grateful to go and suffer in our place for our ingratitude. He can always pull the thread back to the steadfast love of the Lord. Thanksgiving is upon us and so is Charlie Brown. Trying to get in all the movies and shows today. When I think of these Charlie Brown, I can't remember if it's the Thanksgiving or the Christmas one. You know who I think about? Lucy. Poor old Charlie Brown runs to kick that football. And what does she do? She just pulls it out. He kicks and falls and laughs. Would we, I don't know that we would say Charlie Brown is a very grateful person. <laughs> it's kind of pitiful. Kind of like I act sometimes around the house. Sometimes it may be because that's how we have a vision of who God is. We don't want to be grateful because we think he's mindly going to pull the football out. And this is why we have to have the gospel if we're going to be grateful. He is not a God who pulls the football out from our hopes. He is a God whom we can trust and be grateful to even if no one else in the world cares. It's why our hurt our anger, our loneliness, our sadness, our guilt and our fear and shame all need to be brought to Him. But if we pull that thread back to Him and all those things, we can be glad in a world that is broken. We can have joy with sadness. But He must be the center of the story. Gratitude doesn't have to annoy us. It can anchor us. But we're going to have to work at the worship of gratitude. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for your good gifts and thank you more for you, our giver. As we come to the table, as some in the history of the church have called the Eucharist, the Feast of Thanksgiving, may we now give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.